We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to start by reading verse 1, and we're going to kind of just touch on what we studied a couple of weeks ago. Last week, you guys were blessed with Brother Henry and sharing on that spiritual battle that we're in, and uh, and and prior to that, we covered verses 1 through 5 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Today, we're going to cover verses 6 through 12. So let me read beginning in verse 1. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, uh, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And and when we covered this, I I told you guys that somebody wrote a letter. It was a false letter. Uh, They were giving a false message, saying it was from Paul that the day of Christ had already come, that they were living in the days of the judgment of Jesus. Because they were going through some trials. They were going through some persecutions. And so they kind of thought that that had happened. Uh, The word translated coming there in verse 1 is the Greek word parousia. That's the advent. That's the arrival of Jesus Christ. That's when Jesus comes and judges. And so they kind of thought they were already there. And so, he says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, the falling away is the Greek word apostasia, and undoubtedly this is in reference to the falling away that occurs when the Antichrist is revealed. Because there are many apostasies. But this is the apostasy. And there are many rebellions. But this, when the Antichrist is on the scene, is the rebellion. Because he is the rebel. And so the advent, the parousia of Christ, doesn't come until first that rebel and that rebellion, that tribulation period takes place first. Now, we talked about this man of sin, this son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And Paul is talking about how during the tribulation period, halfway through, how the Antichrist will go in into the temple, into the holiest of holies, saying that he's God, because we know that's always been Satan's heart. Satan has always wanted Worship. We're going to see it today, later, even more. And Paul tells him in verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? Right? And then we pick it up in our text for today. It says in verse 6, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And we'll pause there for a moment. Paul says in verse 6, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Have you guys ever had to restrain anybody? Um, more than likely you have. I'm not sure. You know, someone wants to kind of get at someone and they want to fight or they want to do something. You kind of got to hold them back. You got to restrain them. That's what is happening now, we are living, and we're going to look at three R's. Uh, we are living in a time of restraint. We're living in a time of restraint. After that time of restraint, there's going to be a time of rebellion. But then after the time of rebellion, there's going to be a time of retribution. When Jesus comes, the righteous one, and with the, the breath of his mouth and the brightness, the Greek word epiphany, the glory of his coming... He will destroy all unrighteousness. But until then, we're living in a time of restraint. 
And you know, it's it's to me, it's a really good place. You, this is where we're living now. You know, you're wondering where am I living now? What 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 days are we living in now? You know, we're living in the last days. Yeah, we're living in the last of the last days. Yeah, we're living in the signs of the times and times of the signs. Yeah, we're living in that. But we're living, and it's good to know where you're living in the days of restraint, and that's very important too. To know what we're functioning as a church, how we're functioning as a church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're restraining. We're like a preservative. It's pretty cool kind of to know who you are. I mean, we use restraints every day. For example, how many of you guys drive with your seatbelts on? How many of you don't? <laughs> you know, that's just a restraint. It just kind of holds you. They, they say they're designed to protect your, your neck, uh, your, your head your back, and they say that seatbelts save 15,000 lives every year. Uh, I don't like wearing them because they wrinkle my clothes. <laughs> but I, I, I think I should because the day might come when it saved my life, right? And in one sense, the world is headed for this crash. It's like a crash, and, and, and the devil's there, and what we're living in now is, is we're living in a time of, of restraint. Restraint is important, uh, wouldn't you say? I mean, for example, we restrain ourselves, right? If some guys didn't restrain themselves, I mean, they'd be sleeping around. They'd be saying whatever comes to their mind without filtering it through, you know, the Holy Spirit's wisdom, the Bible talks about restraining ourselves in Psalm 39, verse 1. I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth. You know, we restrain ourselves. We restrain others. And we do it all the time. You know, hey, sorry, you can't watch too much television. We might tell our kids or play video games. You can only do it for seven hours a day, you know, whatever your convictions are. Um, you got to be home by 3 o'clock and just, you know, different things. We, we're living in, in days where we're supposed to restrain. If we don't restrain um, the kids or the youth or the people, we might end up like Aaron. And the Bible talks about how when Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days, Aaron did not restrain the people. Next thing you know, they were committing sexual acts of idolatry and adultery. I mean, there is constant restraints. We, we see what happens when anarchy rules and people are looting businesses. And we know what restraint is. We restrain ourselves. We restrain others. And believe it or not, the church, by the Holy Spirit, is restraining the wickedness of the Antichrist. And that's the world that we live in right now. And other translations say, now you know what is holding him back, uh, the Antichrist. You know what the restraining power which prevents him from being revealed is. It means to detain. It means to hinder the Antichrist from making his appearance. And one day the Antichrist will be revealed. Uh, the Greek word there is apocalypto. It's where we get our English word apocalypse. It means to uncover, to lay open what has been veiled or covered, to make known or manifest. And one day, you guys, the, the time will come, the proper time, and the Antichrist will be revealed. Um, he's called the beast twice in the book of Daniel, 31 times in the book of Revelation. He's called the beast. And, and it's, it's a reason for that. I mean, he is like a, this menace, this monster, this beast that at this moment is being restrained uh, from the world that we live in. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's called the man of sin, uh, the son of perdition in chapter 2, verse 2. He's called the lawless one in chapter 2, verse 8, and then again in verse 9. And even though he hasn't been revealed yet, what we see in our text today is that he is rolling. He is ready. He is, in one sense, ruining. Look at uh, verse uh, 6 again. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. 
Here he's called the mystery of lawlessness. Um, to a certain degree, it's a mystery. Um, we know from a biblical perspective, mystery is a hidden thing. It's a secret thing. Um, but the Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 that the secret things belong to the Lord and the mysteries God reveals to his people. So to, to the ungodly, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand the spirit of Antichrist and the way that he is already this Lucifer, this lawless one. He's already working. To them, they don't have a clue. We do. Why? Because it's a mystery that God has revealed to us. You know, we know the spirit of Antichrist is already here. If you want to go over to 1 John, he mentions it a, a few times. In 1 John, beginning in chapter 2, look at verse 18. He says, little children, and I like that he calls them little children. He's just, they're just so precious to him, you know, the congregation. Little children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. If you go over to verse 22 of the same chapter, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. If you go over to chapter 4 in verse 3, it says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And then you see it again in Second John verse 7. It says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And so the mystery of lawlessness, even way back then, is already at work. Lucifer has been pushing for a long time a land um, of lawlessness. Now, let me just say this to you guys. It's not necessarily a land without any laws. Uh, for example, the devil would love to establish Sharia law. The devil would love for Muslims to come in and to take over our country. That's part of his effort in the days that we're living in now. And you guys see it. Don't get me wrong. We love everybody. We're not you know, bigots of any sort. But we do know when there's something, you know, attacking us. And what's happening now is it's crazy. You know, when you see Muslims strapping bombs to their bodies or Muslims going into maybe a kosher market there in France, uh, targeting the Jews, when you see Muslims now rising up even more because of a magazine cover, 100 million fundamental Muslims with an agenda of antichrist, with the agenda of the adversary. And they would love to establish Sharia law. They would love to establish their Muslim law. And what do we do as leaders? We see this happening, and rather than responding in a way that would set up proper boundaries, what do we do? We take it and we do the exact opposite of what any sensible person might do. We try to say, well, no, be careful. we got to love Muslims, as a matter of fact. And we do love them, but we don't love Islam. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me, uh, just the other day, uh, Thursday, one of the guys here, uh, David Jimenez, who's told me about his nephew who goes to a school right here. It's an elementary school. And uh, in his curriculum, it, he was uh, doing an assignment that, that said... Uh, Allah is God, and Muhammad is his prophet. And I said, what in the world is that doing in our public schools? You want to know what that is? It's the spirit of Antichrist. And the adversary is fighting, the lawless one. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's not necessarily that he doesn't have any laws. He just wants any other law than the law of the Lord. And so he's moving. 
he's the lawless one in the sense that he goes against the scriptures. He would love to establish Sharia law or maybe Nazi law. He would like to establish maybe some laws of a devilish dictator, right? But what he wants to do is go against the laws of the Lord. And this is why it's so important that you read your Bibles. It's so important that you know your Bibles. A a, a people who know their Bibles cannot be manipulated or deceived. You got to know the word because the lawless one is simply the one who goes against the laws of the Lord. You know, remember 1962, the justice ruled that official prayer had no place in public education. That wasn't that long ago. How many of you were alive? Well, maybe I shouldn't ask you that question. Ladies, huh? 62, 63, what happened? They took the Bible out of school. Because if you take prayer out, you're going to take the Bible out, right? And then, boom, from that point on, you take the Bible out of school. You take the Bible out of someone's life. Then the lawless one, man, he begins to move. And there's not enough time to speak of case after case after case where the courts have ruled for the removal of the displays of the Ten Commandments, the laws of the Lord from state and federal properties. And more and more people are turning away from the authority of the Bible, from reading and heeding the scriptures, and less and less people are being exposed to the word of God. Even some churches are not preaching the word of God. And in one sense, they're not being exposed to the God of the word. And so, you know, you see the lawless one, he's already working. He's ready. He's rolling but he hasn't been like fully revealed yet. And that's what we see right here. Something is restraining him. But this restrainer will only do so uh, for, I believe, just a little while longer. At the right time. And you guys know this, it could be any time. I mean, it could be before this service is over. At, at the right time, at the proper time, in the fullness of time, then the restrainer will be taken out of the way. And the NLT says he's going to step out of the way. And then the rebel rebel will be revealed. Now, the restrainer is an interesting concept. Um, in In our text here, there's one instance where it's neuter, and there's one instance where the restrainer is masculine. And so that means that it, it, it's, it's almost like a he and an it. And so you're like, well, what are you talking about? Well, this is where Bible teachers, many Bible teachers believe that he is the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit himself. He is the one restraining the Antichrist. And, and then, to, to use the other pronoun there, he will use the church to restrain. We believe the way the Holy Spirit has restrained the Antichrist throughout history is through the church. But when the church is raptured and taken up and out, out of the way, then that opens the way for the revelation and eventual rule of the Antichrist. You know, Haley's Bible Handbook, how many of you guys have that? Uh, it's, a, it's a cool little book. You probably should get it. A little commentary through the scriptures. This is what he said. He said, Today most scholars believe it to mean the Holy Spirit or the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit through the Christian church. Pastor Chuck Smith, in his Word for Today Bible, he said this, The Holy Spirit within the church is hindering the force and holding back the revelation of the Antichrist. Pastor Chuck went on to say this, however, The Holy Spirit will not be removed from the earth, That's an impossibility. The Holy Spirit is God, one of three persons of the Godhead, and as such, he is omnipresent. But the Holy Spirit within the church will be removed. And then once the church is removed, then God's Spirit will again be put upon the nation of, do you guys know who? Israel. See? And that's what's going to happen. We we know that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, boom, then God's going to deal with the Jews in that special way once again. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. You know, and that's what he's doing, you guys. In one sense, the Holy Spirit working through the church, it's a preservative in this in this world, in this nation that we live in. I mean, you know, as we uh, do you know what a difference it is? Do you realize 
what a difference it is. And a lot of people like to criticize the church. And yes, we have our flaws. But man, we are the preservative. We're the salt of the earth. My brother Richard always prays that. The light in the darkness. You know, without the church, you know, just shining and and preaching and warning and, you know, giving away blankets or, or whatever it might be. Without the church voting and praying. Do you realize how bad this world would be? The Holy Spirit working in the church. And not only that, this is so cool to know, greater is He who is in me than He who is in this world. The Holy Spirit in us, defeating all the demonic opposition. But once the church is taken out, then we know the Antichrist will be revealed no, we're the preserver, you guys. And that, that means a lot. And I, I want to encourage you guys to, to, to really embrace that function that you have. I encourage you to, to vote. I encourage you to pray for our nation. I encourage you to restrain your children. You know, don't let them you know, go online without having some type of internet filter. I mean, rest- we have to have wisdom. We really need those parameters that that God will give us. And as a parent, as a father, the personal convictions, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you don't let everybody just do whatever they want to do. No, we're restrainers. We're leaders because we're responsible. You know, Jesus said, he said in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? See, corporately, it's so cool. We're going to maintain our saltiness. But individually, are you salty? Are you still salty? I I pray that you are. Because things are going to get crazy. You know, like we talked about today, the three R's. uh, We have first the restraint. And then we have the rebel. And then we have the retribution. And what that means, if you look at it backwards, is one day Jesus is going to judge. Jesus is going to come the second time as a, as a lion, not a lamb. He's going to judge. All those who do not know Christ, he will judge in his righteousness. Do you ever think about that? you ever think about all the people walking the streets of the city that you live in, your loved ones who don't know Jesus? What's going to happen to them? We've got to think of that. You know, because we know that the devil will come and deceive. And so what do we have to do? Now we have to get ready for that day. And that's where the restraint comes in. That's where the saltiness comes in. That's where the preservative comes in. Don't give up, you guys. I think some people have given up the fight against gay marriage. We're not fighting against the sinner. We're fighting against the sin. And there are some Christians who say, well you know what, just, it's okay, let them have their marriage. And you call yourself a Christian. That violates God's word. We can't just kind of surrender. We have to be a preservative. We have to be the salt. We have to be the light in the darkness, you guys. Pray, vote. Ask God for wisdom. Is there anything else I can do, Lord, against abortion? I mean, things that, that happen. You know, and, and as a pastor, my, my, a lot of my calling is just to teach you the word. And then the Bible talks about how you equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then the people go out and they give out blankets. And the people go out and they minister to that person and that person. And they start a an abortion, you know, ministry where they can minister to the ladies that maybe have done that to show them God's forgiveness and maybe to help a young lady who's contemplating that, telling them, no, there are different options. You don't have to take that life because it is a life. You see, we're preservatives. We're, We're salt. We're restrainers. That's who we are. That's where the time that we're living in right now. And we need God to give us that wisdom as the days grow darker. Adrian Rogers says this, as the day gets closer, the day gets darker. And as the day gets darker, the saints shine brighter. See, and that's who we should 
be. You know, it's interesting here. When I was uh, conducting my word studies, I, I was actually, I, I was kind of caught by one word. Um, look again here, if you would, at verse 7. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, the word way it's interesting, they're different Greek words, but this one right here, it means out of the middle of it. It's, it's a word that really describes being in the midst of something, right? Like, have you ever been in the midst of the mosh pit? I'm just joking. I don't tell you. you know, you just know when you're right in the middle of it, right? The church is supposed to be right in the middle of this world. You know, we're not, we're not of the world. Don't get me wrong, but we should be in the world. Don't just insulate yourself. Infiltrate this world. One day we're going to be taken out of the midst of it, right? But until then, we are here asking God to make us salt in this world. One day we will be taken out of the way and out of the midst of this madness of mankind and then we read, look at verse 8, that the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so, you know, once we're taken out of the way, once we're raptured, uh, once that restraint is gone, then the Antichrist will be revealed. The beast, the man of sin, uh, the son of perdition, um, he's the lawless one without compassion, without conviction, without love, without laws. The wicked, evil one will be revealed. But it's interesting here. Paul shares uh, more of the details about the, this one later. But before he really gets into that, he wants to say right off the bat, I want you guys to know, however, that Jesus is going to take care of him. <laughs> right? Right? When I start talking about the Antichrist, let me just tell you right away so you don't freak out. Jesus Christ will consume him. That's what he says. He just says it right off the back, right? You know, I, I was uh, just so blessed. Um, and this is the word Lord, to be honest with you. There in verse 8, and then the last one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. You know, the, the, the Lord, curios, it means master, it means owner, it means controller. It means sovereign. You know, this Lord, this title of Christ is, is used 20 times in the three chapters of Second Thessalonians, the Lord. And it's so important that we know who Jesus Christ is. He's not some random rabbi, typical teacher, passing prophet. He is the Lord. You guys, the master, the owner. Uh, and, then, you know, we're going to see later. It, the, the, the reason why this is kind of important is because in Romans chapter 1 and here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that if you don't, if you don't get saved, you're going to believe the lie. And so what's the lie? According to Romans 1, what's the lie? According to 2 Thessalonians. Well, the lie, it kind of goes back to the garden. Yeah, God, don't let really God be God. You can be God. You can call the own shots. You can do your own thing. That's the lie. That's the lie. We can't do our own thing. We're not God. There's only one God. And until we bow our knees to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, we're not going to be saved. You know, some people, they kind of accept Christ as yeah, you know, I believe intellectually, and I, I, I believe, you know, yeah, in one sense that he's, he's my Savior. But let me tell you something. He won't be your Savior if he's not your Lord. Is he really calling the shots? Is he really the one that, that you live to please and you live to obey? Understand the importance of, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so one day the Lord will land on our land again and 
Jesus Christ will consume the Antichrist with his powerful word and his powerful presence. The word consume, it doesn't mean he's going to eat him, okay? Although I thought that would be kind of cool. But it, it just means to slay. It means to overthrow. It means to doom and destroy. Um, the other word, it comes to destroy. It means to render idle, inactive, inoperative, to deprive of force, influence, or power. And so what's going to happen is the Antichrist, okay? He's not going to be annihilated. Uh, he's going to be defeated. He will be doomed to the lake of fire. We'll read that later in Revelation chapter 13 and 14. Destroyed, deactivated, and forever defeated. And it's just so cool the way that it happens. Um, we read in our text that he's going to come. Look, it says right here, whom the Lord will consume with what? With the breath of his mouth. So he's going to defeat the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. What do you think that's in reference to? You know, because we have bad breath, Jesus has good breath. You think that's what it is? This is called the Savior's scope, you know? No, I'm just joking. You know, what is it? And we guys, I think you know it is. Because it says in Revelation 19 that he's the King of Kings, he's the Lord of Lords, and he comes with a sword in his mouth. And what does that mean? It means he's just going to speak it. He's going to consume him with the breath of his mouth. And I love this, the brightness of his coming. I just love that. I love that. The brightness of his coming. That's where I told you earlier, we get that word epiphany. It, it, it was a word actually used in ancient literature for the glory of the appearing of their gods to save. And, you know, what we find, it found a, an actual true statement in the New Testament, number one, when Jesus came the first time, and then number two, when Jesus comes the second time, the epiphany, the glory of his appearance, and in one sense, it's like he's going to get melted by the, the bright light of right and might of Jesus. And the Bible says he's going to take him and he's going to cast him alive into the lake of fire. So one day he will be defeated and what we find in looking at this, you guys, is, uh, is this a beautiful picture? You know, we're, we're, we're seeing a calendar here. You know, we're going to see a series and order of events where I think God is going to stir us up to be restrainers, where I think God is going to stir us up to be missionaries. Listen, if you haven't been sharing with the Lord, with the people about the Lord, then something's wrong. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? If you don't evangelize, you're going to fossilize. Okay, start telling people about Christ because Jesus is coming. And let's get our life right with the Lord. Let's get our life right with the Lord. You know, I, there's a picture of this. If you go over to Revelation chapter 19, how many of you here have illustrated Bibles? Nobody. You guys got to open your eyes, man. Look, look at the way this is illustrated. Revelation 19. Are you there yet? Verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Oh, man, I'm, I'm already like, this is going to be so cool. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like, excuse me, a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, notice, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You guys know who that is, right? That's us. You're like, I've never been on a horse before. It's okay, don't worry about it. You're going to be good then, man. But you're just going to be following. You're not going to be fighting because Jesus does all the fighting. It says right here, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And that's what we're talking about, the breath of his mouth, right? There's that sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. 
This is the, by the way, just in case you're wondering, this is the Battle of Armageddon, okay? And then I saw uh, an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And here it is. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled. They were feasting this flesh of dead bodies four feet high all the way across the valley of Megiddo. See, that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. That's right around the corner, you guys. And it's interesting because later when the devil is cast into the lake of fire, it says, and then God cast the devil into the lake of fire where the feast, where the beasts and the false prophet are. They're still there. You know, a thousand years later. And it says, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, that's the judgment that's coming. And, and back in Second Thessalonians, and we'll kind of try to wrap this up, that's what we have to just be gripped by. Guys, be gripped by the gospel. Be gripped by the grace of God. Be gripped by the fact that you might not be a missionary to Cambodia or Mexico. Maybe one day you will. But right, right here, right now, you're missionaries. You're missionaries in this world that you live in. You're missionaries with your family and your extended family and the neighborhoods that God has called you to and the place of employment and the spheres of influence and all the people that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, people that are in prison that need to be written to, all the things that God has for us. You know, we look at this and we see, wow, this is what's happening. You know, Jesus is coming. Look at verse 9 of Second Thessalonians 2. And it says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know, when the Antichrist is revealed, and you can read about it in Revelation 6, he's the one on the white horse, or Revelation 13, you get a lot of information there in some of 14. But when he is revealed and starts to rise in order to rule, it will be, it says right here, according to the working of Satan. And, and Satan basically will possess this man. Um, a lot of people uh, that are on the streets, uh, a lot of people are, are possessed by demons not all some people think their two-year-old is possessed by demons no they're not they're just it's just a terrible tooth okay pray for them <laughs> but there are people possessed by demons and we know judas was possessed by the devil because the bible specifically says that satan entered him judas is called the son of perdition so is the antichrist and so when he begins to work and then the false prophet there right there with him it's according to the working, the Greek word is where we get our word energy, it's according to the working of Satan, right? And it's going to be, it's interesting what it says right here, it says there's going to be a, a power, dunamis, and signs, and, and, and it says lying wonders. Now, let me just give you two schools of thought real quick. Uh, some people believe that really the miracles of the devil are going to be more like the work of a magician, uh, it's more like a sleight of hand. It's more like just fooling people. For example, if you read carefully the account of the Antichrist, you know he's going to actually uh, pretend to die and then rise again. Everything he tries to do, he tries to counterfeit Christ. I mean, you have the Holy Trinity, you have the Unholy Trinity. You have Jesus dying and rising. 
And supposedly he's going to do the same thing, but when you read it carefully, he doesn't really die. They said it seems like he died. And he's going to deceive the world with, you know, maybe some miracles that are more like the work of a magician, a deceptive work. So some people believe that. Uh, Norman Geisler is in that camp, and there are those. Um, but most people believe that the devil can do miracles, um, especially when allowed to by God. And what it talks about lying wonder and deceptive works is that he will use those miracles to deceive. See, Jesus and the apostles, they had signs and wonders and miracles to bring people to the truth, while the devil will use signs and wonders and miracles to take people from the truth. And that's why, man, how do you know the difference? How can you tell when it's of the Lord or of the devil? Well, it helps to know your Bible. It helps to know the Word of God. Let me tell you that. But primarily, you have to have to have the Spirit of God inside of you. And by the Spirit, you'll know that's not the Lord. That's the devil. You know, we can't be led by signs and wonders, right? We have to be led by the Lord. And so Satan will do all these signs and wonders. And notice there in verse 10, unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And that's the problem, you guys. Um, it. If you're here today, and I think most of you are Christians, I'm not sure about, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, you know, then you are, in, in one sense, you're making yourself vulnerable to be deceived by the devil. That's why you got to come to the Lord. I mean, you're a sinner, you separated yourself from God because of that sin. But all your sins were laid on Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you. And he died for you. And, you know, he proved the fact that he was your Savior by rising from the grave. And the Bible just says, If you place your faith in Christ and like we talked about today, uh, repent and receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Give Jesus your life. Then you won't be deceived. You know, Islam, Christianity, they're completely different. Islam is not a religion of love. Not when you read the Quran. When you read their Bible, it's a, it's a religion of violence. And you want to know why? Because their leader... Muhammad was violent. Their leader killed hundreds of thousands of people. Their leader was violent. The Quran is violent. Our leader was loving. Our leader laid down his life on the cross. Yeah, there have been some Christians who have misrepresented our leader. And they haven't been loving. But when you look at Jesus, you see nothing but love. And so, what he's saying right here is that the people that don't receive the love, the people that don't love that truth, then they're setting themselves up for deception. They're not saved. And then what ends up happening is, says in verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had, un- had pleasure in unrighteousness. We're living in the time of restraint. Because there is a rebellion coming. Right? But then after the rebellion, there will be retribution. And Jesus Christ will judge the world. He'll judge everybody. Right? And so right now, it's a time, I think, where we have to search our heart. You know, do we 
really know the Lord? Do we know the judgment is coming? Are you convinced of that? You know, Adrian Rogers again, he said, even now the raging waters of God's wrath are furiously pounding against the dam of God's mercy. And one of these days, the dam of God's mercy will give way to the judgment and the day of the Lord will come. And so if you're here today and if you haven't submitted your life to Christ, and I'm talking about, first of all, becoming a Christian, but I'm also talking about, secondly, truly surrendering everything. Saying, like today, if you can just say, if you haven't said it already, God, I'm all yours. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm all yours. Because if you don't, then what ends up happening is kind of like when the Lord dealt with Pharaoh, The Bible says in the book of Exodus, and you can read it in chapters 8 through 14, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart five times. Until finally God said, okay, you don't want me? And then God hardened his heart. You see, you can't um, deny the Lord. You can't say no you know, right now, man, you, you can say yes to Christ. Because if you don't say yes now, then the day may come where you maybe won't be able to. That's kind of what he's saying right there. For this reason, God's going to send him a strong delusion. That they should believe the lie. Why? Because they didn't receive the love of the truth. And so, um, in, in closing, what we see right here. And Warren Wisby said, No lost sinner can afford to treat God's truth carelessly or reject God's Son repeatedly. The human heart becomes harder each time the sinner rejects God's truth, and this makes it easier to believe Satan's lies. Notice right here at the end of verse 12, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Sorry, God, I would become a Christian, but I like sleeping with my girlfriend. Sorry, God, I would become a Christian, but I, 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 sorry, I, don't, I like my drugs, I like my alcohol, and I like my pornography, and I like my sin. And so there you are. You won't, re- you won't receive Christ because you have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's where it starts. And what does that lead to? Well, then they won't believe or love the truth. And then after that, Satan, his deception goes even deeper. And then what happens is God honors your decision. And at the end, verse 12 says they are condemned. And verse 10 says they perish. And so, you guys, um, I, I, I pray that everybody here, you really know the Lord. You really have given your life to Christ. And that, um, and if you have, that God would just place within us just a, a crazy, um, unstoppable desire to share the gospel with others. Man, with as many people as we can. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And that means that, that judgment is coming. And we have to be ready. You know, I read this story about a, an event that took place in, uh, in Messina, Italy. It was a long time ago. It was in the year 1908. It was December 25th, actually, where they published in a journal. The publishers, they actually dared, and they just called him the Almighty. December 25th, 1908, the journal went out, daring the Almighty that if he were real to bring an earthquake to their town. Well, if you studied history, you know that three days later, 85,000 men died in that earthquake. God did respond. You know, so does does that mean that God does it every time? No, God doesn't do it every time. Some people shake their fist at God. If you're real, let lightning strike. I kind of wish it would, you know. (laughs) But, you know, God doesn't always do that, right? Sometimes he does. And one day, soon and very soon, he will do it for the last time. I read this quote. It said, in the choir of life, it's easy to fake the words, 
But someday each of us will have to sing a solo before God. Do you really know the Lord? Do you have Jesus? Because one day when you stand before the holy great white throne or that famous seat, wherever you are, man, you're going to have to give an account. And so God help us uh, to be ready. You know, we're restraining the world and we're restraining others. And God help us even to restrain ourselves. Lord, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Lord, working in us and working through the church. Uh, thank you for your word, Lord. We kind of have a calendar. We, we have the chronology. We're taught. It's not a mystery to us. Thank you, Lord, so much for your beautiful people who love the Bible who love you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I, and I see it, and I know it. As I look out in the congregation, Lord, you are doing an awesome work. You're raising up godly men and godly women in dark days to shine bright. Lord, I thank you so much for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue to work in us and through us. And if there's anyone here... You know, maybe uh, they feel convicted. I pray it would not go to that place of condemnation. That today, if there is anyone here who maybe feels a little uncomfortable, they feel a little convicted, they, they feel maybe that, um, you know, they're, they're not good enough. I pray they would know that, Lord, you love them. And that you've come, Lord, to, to warn them and, and to bless them. And I just thank you so much, Father, for allowing us just to be able to know that this is the God that you are. And Lord, together here today as a congregation, we pray that if there is anyone here maybe going in the wrong direction, that by your Holy Spirit and by your grace, today they would make that U-turn and that they would, Lord, begin to walk, even begin to run in the right direction. Save the loss. Lord, sanctify your church. Bring back anyone who might be backslidden. And let them know, Lord, that you are a gracious, kind, compassionate, and forgiving Father. Just love you, Lord, and thank you so much. And I just pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.